Thank you for your love upon us, Lord. We thank that you care about us and you are interested in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, you care about how we are influenced. You care in the direction we are going. You care about the things that we care about. So this morning, Lord, we pray for Kyle and his new wife. We pray that salvation would come to their household, this household, Lord, even though the marriage, the Lord, according to your word, is not according to your word. But I just pray, Lord, that your salvation would come into those lives. I pray for Corey and Bessie this morning, wherever they're at. I pray, Lord, that they would stop and think about who they are in your sight. Mm -hmm. And Lord, as we recognize that you are a holy God and that you are an awesome God and the God that someday you will you will tell your son, Jesus, it's time to go and claim his own. And Lord, may we await that day and may we live lives that are pure and holy. And Lord, that we are ready when that trumpet and call comes, whether it's today or whether it's 20 years from now, or Lord, we go into the grave. But Lord, when the graves are open, that we would arise and go home with you. We pray for the King family and this, these things that are going on in their family. Lord, we pray for pray as they deal with the police and their mom and what needs to happen. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and direction and clarity. And understanding, Lord, your word says that we need to come to you and ask. And so we are here to ask. We are not here to demand, Lord, but we are just to simply ask because you are the author of all wisdom. So we just come to ask you this morning for them. I pray for Becca and healing, Lord. I pray, Lord, and I thank you for sparing her life. And Lord, you got a reason for her to live, mm-hmm. even though it goes against everything that has happened. And you know, our minds go, Lord, to the thought that sh- she should probably be dead, but she's not. Mm-hmm. So it's a mute point, Lord. You have prepared, you have saved her life for a reason and a work that you want her to accomplish on this earth. And I pray, Lord, through her life, as a young lady, Lord, who loves you, that she would build your kingdom here in a small way or in a great way. It don't matter, Lord, but just use her. And so here we are, Lord. We want to see your kingdom built here. I pray for Brother Roger this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint his heart, his tongue. His mind, His being, Lord, and that you administer to us through Him. I pray for the preaching of your word, wherever it is this morning, that it would be preached in clarity and that truth would go out, even though you use men. And sometimes, Lord, we do not have it all together. We're just going to omit that this morning. We do not, but I just pray, Lord, that you would just take us. As people, as your creation, to preach your word and to share the things that you want shared here this morning. Mm -hmm. So here we are. We commit ourselves to you. We love you, Lord. And we desire to walk in the way that Jesus taught us Mm -hmm. in all things.
Lord, we're not home yet. We're still on a journey. So I pray, Lord, that you would be patient. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have given to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, good morning to each one and welcome here. Thank you for making an effort to be here today. Um, There was something that I uh, came here thinking was going to happen and God had a better plan. Uh, I was expecting to hear the youth that went to Bible school last week sing some of the songs from the program. But God had plans otherwise, uh, included some sickness, included some uh, people that can't be here and so forth. And uh, so that got canceled. We're not going to do that. So my question, the thing going through my mind was, well, what could God have that might be better than than what was originally planned? And it kind of I think it does kind of tie into what already was uh, laid on my heart somewhat this morning. And that is something else I heard at Bible school last week. And um, and that was the thing of testimony when they had testimonies last Sunday, Sunday afternoon before the program. It uh, it blessed me. These people from Bible school talking about here's what God did in my heart. Well, the rest of us weren't at Bible school. Some of you were. The rest of us weren't either, but God hopefully is at work in our hearts as well. So what is your testimony? I've got some things to share by way of testimony, what God has been doing in my heart. And uh, I really would like to open it up after that. And that's for anyone here, whether you're here, you know, there's a is a visitor or whatever. And by the way, uh, Bert, I expected to see him here. He just texted me and said he's sick today, so that same plague must be hitting up in Sweet Home, I guess. So um, anyway, a lot of people getting hit by this sickness, whatever it is. Uh, But wherever you're here from, if God is doing a work in your heart, like Glenn already prayed, just do a work among us. And if God is already doing a work among you, then uh, please be willing to. Uh, Or please consider, let me just put it that way, share it. And if you were at Bible school last week and once we open up for testimony after this main part is over and we open it for testimony, anybody that has something like to testify about the work of God in your heart, we'd love to hear. We don't have near as big a group uh, here as we did or as you did back when you were in, in, in at the Bible school. I think there was 200 and some students. I don't know what percentage of those students shared a testimony. Um, Let's just say it was 10% of them. That was still quite a few. Maybe it was 20%. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, if uh, very many of us are going to testify, we're going to have to have a higher percentage than uh, what you had at Bible school. So keep that in mind as you think about this question. Should I testify or not? Should I give a testimony? But first, I just want to testify to what God is and has been doing in my heart. And I want to write something on the board and ask you if you have any idea at all of what these initials stand for. D W P W T. I'm just going to leave them up there for a little bit. Don't get too distracted by those initials, but. 
Do you have an idea what that stands for? D-W-P-W-T. We will reveal it, Lord willing, before the morning is out here. But as I give a testimony here this morning, I have to say it starts with difficulty. It starts with pain. As a family, we've been facing difficulty. The last three and a half years, ever since Corey left and before, there was pain. There was difficulty. There's things that we have gone through. And my prayer through the whole thing has been obviously for her salvation. We just got done praying for her. But it's more than that. It's God do the work in me that you want to do. So what? How has God answered that prayer? I I want to share a little bit about that. What God has been doing in my heart. What did I have need of? Why did God allow her and the difficult decisions that she made in my life? Of course, I wish for her sake, it would have her choices would be totally different. But, Lord, are you trying to do something with me that you didn't do before, that I had needs in my life? And, and I have to say, yes, I, I did have needs and I still do. Obviously, I can only share about the ones I know about, the, one God's, God, the ones God has revealed to me. And so I want to talk about that. But if I were to say, put, uh, you know, three things, it seemed like immediately when Corey left, and made those difficult choices. There was something that God laid on my heart about this whole thing of. I'll make a different list here somewhere. And that was this whole thing of humility. And, you know, it's easy to think, OK, well, look, I'm a pastor. Things are good. Um, God is blessed in these various ways. And in, hey, you got it together. Well, suddenly God revealed oh, you don't have it together. Things are not right. You need to. Humble yourself. Don't ever lift yourself up in pride again and think, hey, look, I'm something special. This has been a very humbling experience. So humility has been one of those things. That was something God touched on my heart immediately. Lord, forgive me for my arrogant attitude toward, well, just what God's done in my life. And then, of course, it's easy to compare yourselves with others and so forth. And um, it's... uh, it, it just it was a pretty it, it's been a hard blow in that way, but it's a blow that I needed. The second thing that God showed me was prayer. And. You know, that's been a precious gift as God has just said, look, there's just some things that can only happen by prayer. You can't do. And this was this again was very early in this whole process, very early in that in the last, you know, in this three and a half year journey. Is just that, look, you uh, you always I always believed in prayer, I always believed in humility, I always believed in prayer. But, you know, to make it the priority that I really needed, it's easy to depend on others. Well, OK, look, I'm the pastor. I'm going to be preaching. Hopefully others are praying for me, you know. Um, and again, I, I, be, I, be, I believed in prayer, but to, to often my prayer life was filled with distractions. You know, if you aim to. Set aside an hour to have your devotions and you get there and start reading and all of a sudden your mind starts to wonder and before long, uh oh, it's time to go to work and just over and over. You know, that's just that's the and so it comes easy. Well, look, I didn't have much of a prayer life yesterday and and, uh, you know, it was only a few minutes, maybe uh, 15 minutes and that's all I could really get in. And you know what? Nothing bad happened. So maybe I can do with maybe that's good enough. And 
becoming a little lack, uh, uh, just a little careless in the prayer life. And, and that has changed in the last three and a half years. It has been it has been far more where I have had to say, look, I, I need to spend time in prayer. This is a life or death issue. My family's at stake. Satan is attacking us as a congregation in closer home. He's attacking us as a family and even closer home. He's attacking me as a person. And um, so God has laid prayer on my heart in a very special way in the last three and a half years. And with that are other opportunities. If I'm going to spend more time in prayer, then a prayer list is a very valuable tool. What are you going to pray about during this extra time you're spending? And with a prayer list is, is other needs. People who never will know that you're praying for them. They have no idea. Countries that have no, they have no idea the missionaries there or the Christians there that I'm praying for them. It doesn't matter. It's totally hidden. And God will, God is, God only knows about those things. And, um, so prayer has been laid on my heart and, and my prayer life has changed significantly in the last three and a half years. I got this email this past week. Actually, it was the ninth. So maybe it was late the week before. But um, here, just listen to this description, this writing by Pablo Yoder. He says the little room is cozy and private. The walls are decorated with colorful pictures and meaningful mottos. The floor is covered with plush rugs, a dainty chandelier dangles from the center of the ceiling, shedding its gentle light on a small table beneath it. The table cradles a lovely bouquet of a variety of tropical flowers in its center. The table is loaded with all kinds of delicious food, food fit for a king. Then you notice the table is set for two, two plates across from each other, two sparkling goblets, two sets of silverware, two snow white napkins, two chairs, and then you look closely at the plates and they have name cards perched in the center. And one name is yours. On the opposite side of the room, there's a door, just a simple common door with a latch. You know you can open at any time. You stand there in awe, drinking in the fantastic scene. Is this real? Am I actually a part of this wonderful drama? And who might be the person who's to sit at the other plate to share the meal with me? It's then that you hear the knocking gently, firmly, persistently. Then you decide if you will open. You don't have to open that door to receive some visitor that you might or might not like. But whoever it is knocks at that door every day, wanting to share some quality time with you, just with you. My dear brother and sister, when you hear the knocking, don't hesitate. You will never regret it. Open the door widely and let Jesus in. After you welcome him in, please close the door so that you won't be distracted as you fellowship with the king of kings. You both sit to the table. He takes the bread and breaks it. He gives you a piece. He hands you the goblet of the choicest wine. You share a sweet hour together, experiencing the sweetest fellowship that can exist here on this earth. We call it prayer. By Pablo Yoda. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. As you think about prayer, is that what you think of? Is it this beautiful time alone with God? Is it something that is a tremendous privilege? Do you long for it? Do you look forward to it? I'm not sure if anything else ought to be said about this because I have, you know, going through my minds are times when prayer 
isn't just sweet fellowship, even though it is that. It also can be a time of war. It can be a time of struggle, battle. It can be a time of wrestling with God, maybe over some issue we're facing. So there's there's another side to this, obviously. And somebody might look at this and say, oh, you know, you're painting not a realistic picture of prayer. And yet, you know, when you think of this as being what it really is, that it truly is a tremendous privilege to spend time with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How much will we go to what lengths will we go to to make it happen? How, you know, getting up early to make it happen. Taking a break out of the middle of the day to make it happen. Taking time in the evening to make it happen. Why? Because it's this privilege to spend time with God. I can in 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 the fellowship. I can have sweet communion like it talks about here in the requesting. I can shake the world, uh, you know, through prayer, even though the people that I'm praying for never know who I'm praying for. This is a tremendous privilege. Is it that privilege to you? And so that's, again, a little bit of my journey, my testimony. God has humbled me greatly. I think he still has a lot of humbling to do in me. And obviously we can only know looking back. We can't look forward very good with a lot of accuracy. But I look back and say God has been doing a work of humility in my life. And he's been doing a work of prayer in my life. But then there's another one. That I think God has been wanting to do a work. And that's what those initials are about. Those initials stand for five words. And it's a breakdown of a verse in the Bible. That very recently I have made my own. And then tried to make my own. And then wrestled to make my own. And then it got it gets attacked. But I keep. I'm, I'm in. I'm right now this is what I'm going through. I'd like you to turn to Philippians. And we're going to break down a verse in Philippians that has become precious to me very recently. And it's not just a sweet tasting pill. It's, it's, there's some imperatives in this verse that we're going to read. Things that you must do. Things that I haven't taken as seriously commands in this verse. The verse is number six, Philippians chapter four, verse six. And so we're going to read this. And after we read it, we're going to break it down. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to, unto God. All right, let me read another translation. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So let's talk about this. There are some commands in here. And you can go ahead and call it out. What, what's the, the first command? King James says, be careful for nothing. NIV says, be anxious for nothing. If we were to boil that down to only two words, what would it be? Don't worry. Be anxious. Be worried. So that's what these first two initials right here are. 
don't worry. That's a command. I tend to be a worrier when things are not going well with my daughter, especially when I hear bad news. And we've heard a lot of that lately with her, with other things. But, yeah, probably especially with her. It's easy to start worrying. And it was like. God has laid in my heart. Listen, Roger, this is a command not to worry. Don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be don't be anxious about anything. Worrying doesn't help. That's command number one. It's hard. Because, well, I tend to worry and there's really serious issues to worry about. If worrying would help. But God says, don't worry. But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep going through this verse. Because if it said don't worry and then stopped there, that would be another way of saying do nothing. That would be really scary. To do nothing when the world crumbles around you and your family falls apart and marriages and health issues come and, and God says don't worry and then stops right there. Because that would say don't worry but do nothing. Well, that would be tough. But God hasn't said that. He has not said, do nothing. What's the next command? Well, let's, let's look at this again. In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So you put prayer in there and supplication in there and requests in there. Another translation, prayer, petition, requests again. If you just boiled all of those words down into one word, what would we say? I think we would say pray or you could say petition. But either way, I, I, I'll just put it as prayer. So God says we're supposed to pray. That's a command. It's another command. Don't worry. Pray. Don't do nothing. That would be foolhardy in this dark world we live in to do nothing. But pray. Go back to this one here. Don't worry. There's a reason he says don't worry. It's because we live in a world where there are temptations to worry. He doesn't say don't be tempted to worry. That probably would be impossible. I tempt I am tempted to worry. And even after making this verse my own, I don't think the temptations to worry diminished one iota. They kept coming thick and fast and thicker and faster, the temptations to worry. So if you're tempted to worry, that's not a sin. But if you give into that temptation and worry, that's disobedience. So what are these temptations to worry for? You know what I think they're for? I think they're to remind us to pray. Every time that temptation to worry comes, and they've been coming a lot lately. That's God saying, pray, stop and pray. And sometimes that can be multiple times in an hour and a 10 minute stretch, multiple times stopping and praying. I, I'm not sure if we all can do this with our line of work. I usually do work in a building that I'm mostly by myself. And so a lot of times I do have that freedom to just stop and pray every time that temptation to worry comes. Even if it does come multiple times in an hour, even if it's just a very brief prayer, 
um, God says, stop and pray. And that's what God's been doing in my heart is reminding me, don't worry, but pray. But that's not the end of the verse either. There's another passage. There's another part here. And that's this little phrase with thanksgiving. Don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving. So there's three sections to this verse. When the temptation to worry comes, and it might come very, very often, step one, don't worry. You're not allowed to do that. That's not permitted for a follower of God who reads Ephesians, Philippians number uh, 4, verse 6. You're not allowed to worry. I'm not allowed to worry. I don't have that freedom anymore. But then I'm commanded to pray. I'm commanded not to worry. I'm commanded next to pray. And don't stop with praying, but give thanks. Don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving. And if I do all of those things consistently and not leave out one of them, don't leave out the command. I don't have the freedom to worry. Don't don't leave out that command. Don't leave out the command to pray and don't leave out the command to give thanks immediately after the prayer. If I do that, then I've, I've experienced the next verse. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's a very precious thing. But it takes a lot of effort to get to that thing. It takes a lot of diligence to put that first verse into practice. Not, don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving. Because the temptations, it seems like as soon as God laid this on my heart, the temptations to do the opposite and start worrying, they came thick and fast. And I, I, uh, I just had to, again, cling to this and, and keep doing it over and over again. And, and, and you know... It is precious not only because of the peace in my heart. It's precious because there's some promises associated with this command. Not that only affect me and my peace, although that's very precious, but these, this obedience, consistent obedience, is going to affect other people. It's going to affect Kyle. It's going to affect Corey. It's going to affect other people that we had up here on the board. It's going to make a difference. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It really does change things. And sometimes those prayers are long and boring and repetitive and we don't see any fruit at all. But we have the promises of God. As God was laying this on my heart, some things <clears throat> happened. A lot of bad news happened regarding, or let's just put it this way, bad, bad news concerning how Corey was doing. Um, that happened. And, and uh, we had, uh, well, there was one day we were, I had just finished, I had changed my schedule up with the billboards, and I had just been on for an hour. And just as I was getting off, uh, Jeremy and Stephanie showed up to pray. And we didn't know they were coming. They didn't tell us ahead of time. They just showed up. My wife was getting ready to leave for town. If they had been a little bit earlier, a little bit later, we wouldn't have been available. But we, we happened to be available right then to stop and pray. And as I look at the whole journey we've been on, you know, that, that's been this, that prayer. I just uh, we, we talked about prayer being 
the first answer to prayer. When we start praying and God lays in our heart to do more prayer, and we've had some other prayer meetings, um, the, Mike and Joanna had come, on, come over one time here during this period of time, and we prayed together, and it's, uh, it's uh, you know, different ones. We've been praying here at prayer meeting. It's been precious the prayer that's happened. And even if we don't see any external signs, the prayer itself, I'm convinced, is an answer to prayer. And it's it's a sign God is at work. Well, one morning, again, it was it was a struggle. It was a morning that was a struggle. I got a, a WhatsApp message from Jeremy Brackett back in Boston. He sent me this. Uh, he sent me this picture of a book called uh, The Circle Maker. I'll write it up here in case anybody wants to check it out. The Circle Maker. He said, hey, I want to recommend this. We've been looking. They have a, a like an accountability class or a Bible study uh, group that they have back there. And said, we've been going through it as a group and I've been really blessed by it. Thought you might want to check it out. Well, that was a godsend. The timing of that was just amazing. And I looked it up right away and we had, had this subscription for, to this little app called Scribd, which you can listen to uh, uh, Bible, uh, books and so forth. Well, lo and behold, it was on there and I started listening to it and, I thought, well, I, and I'm still not done with it, it's, but it's been a huge blessing. But it tells the story of a man named Honey back before Christ in the in the, like the generation before Jesus came to this earth. Honey, H-O-N-I, he was a Jew and he was kind of known to be, you know, you could come to him for prayer. People would come to him to pray for needs and especially the need for rain. Well, they'd had about a year long drought no rain at all. And people were getting really desperate. Finally, they went to Honey and says, we, we need rain bad. You need to pray for rain. Well, Honey takes his staff and he goes out in the dust of the street and he draws a circle just by turning around like this in the dust of the street. He kneels down in the circle and says, God, I, sw- I swear I will not leave this circle until you send rain. And I don't know how long it was, but I think it was very shortly after that. The, he, he stayed right there in that circle. The clouds started coming and the rain started pouring and uh, or actually it just started sprinkling. He says, well, he says, God, I'm, I actually had another kind of pr- rain in mind, the kind of rain that fills the ditches and everything. And immediately it just started dumping it down. Just poor everybody rushed for shelter except him. He kept praying. He says, well, Lord, actually, I wanted the kind of rain that's just the, the showers of blessing. And the downpour turned into just a soft, uh, you know, a softer, but just a steady rain that just came and turned everything, just watered everything. And that legend, whether it's true or not, it is one that keeps getting passed down. It's, it's people, you know, people know about a honey, the rainmaker, honey, the circle drawer. And, and the, 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 the author of this book, Mark. Patterson, I believe his name, he writes about these people who are willing to draw circles around their prayers, around the promises. He says his favorite story in the Bible is or his, you know, one of the best illustrations is, is the people uh, as they approach Jericho there. And God says, start circling the city as little sense as that made. They did it. One circle every day for six days. Last day, seven circles around the city. 
makes no sense at all. How is this going to ever conquer the city of Jericho? And, and, and he, all, he asked the question, what would have happened if history would have been just a little different? What if they would have given up at, what, 13 circles altogether? What if, you know, at 11 or 12, they finally said, look, this, we're not seeing any difference at all. No cracks in the foundation at all. Nobody, not even one of those Jericho warriors have surrendered. Maybe we should quit. It's not working. What would history look like today had they made that decision and stopped circling Jericho? It would look totally different. What would it look like if we quit praying for something we're praying for and praying and praying? And we quit one day before God was just getting ready to answer. What would it look like if many of these other people in the Bible would have been different? You know, Hezekiah, you can turn to this if you want. Isaiah chapter 37. Hezekiah was there in a extremely excruciating situation. He'd gotten a letter from Sennacherib. They had a big army there and they were ready to uh, conquer Jerusalem and they came and they told Hezekiah, they told the people up on the wall, hey, don't believe Hezekiah. If he tells you that we're not going to conquer you, don't even think about it. We've conquered all these others and they were religious people, too. They had their gods and we wiped them. out. It doesn't matter who your God is. You're going to get conquered. You might as well surrender. That's what he that's what they told Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah got this letter. There might have been a couple different letters here, but in verse 14, he received the letter and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread this letter out from the enemy king in front of the Lord. And said, Lord, you need to deal with this. I can't deal with it. It's just too big for me. That's why we pray. You know, there's times during this whole three and a half year journey, I would look at certain things and think, you know, well, maybe if I would you know, say these particular things to my daughter, things would be different. If I would send her this text or this passage from the Bible or maybe this article that I wrote or, or read or something, you know, maybe that could work in over and over again. It's failed. If her heart's going to change, it's going to be God that does it. And yet we have these promises. God does work and when God works, who can stand before him? Not Sennacherib with an army of 200,000 people. He couldn't stand before him. <clears throat> and God didn't even have to send an army of angels. He sent one. Well, let's just read it here. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, whereas thou hast prayed to me. Or let's just put it this way. Because you prayed to me. You got an enemy? Well, then you prayed. And because you prayed, something's going to happen. Because you prayed, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, whereas thou hast prayed to me, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? But thy servants 
hast thou reproached unto the Lord and hast said by the multitude of my chariots, I come up to the height of the mountains and to the sides of Lebanon. I will cut down the tall cedars and the choice firs thereof. And I will enter into the height of the border and the forest of Carmel. I have digged and drunk. This is still the enemy king boasting. I have digged and drunk water. And with the sole of my feet, I've dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I've done it? And of ancient times, how I formed it. This is God saying now. Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities in ruinous. Uh, you have turned the fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained to power and dismayed or put, are put to shame. They're like plants in the field, like tender green shoots and like grass sprouting on the roofs. But God says, I know where you stay and where you come and go and how you rage against me because you rage against me. And because your insolence has reached my ear, I will put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. God says, I'm not at all scared of this. It is no, there is no, it's no match. You, you are no match for me, King Sennacherib. And then God gives a promise to Hezekiah. This year, you're going to eat what grows by itself. Second year, what springs from that. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root and bear fruit. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Remember the, 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 the army that was so scary, and they wrote such threatening letters. And according to everything they could see, they were absolutely right. There's disaster coming. But God says, he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow up there. Remember, because you prayed. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it was shield. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter the city. I will defend the city and save it for the sake of my of, of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord, one angel, one angel, went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Judah, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he's worshiping the temple of his god Nineveh, uh, uh, Nishrach, his sons, cut him down with the sword. And then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and his sons succeeded him. You know, just a little bit before that, it looked like Sennacherib was in charge. He had it together. The poor people, poor old Hezekiah and Isaiah up there on the mountain, up there in the city. And all those people, they're going to be tortured tremendously whenever we overrun it. It looked absolutely hopeless for them. Totally hopeful for Sennacherib. But what was it? A week later, he was dead and they had peace. Later in history, there was another king, King Herod, who had a nice palace. He was in the palace. He had a prisoner down in the jail. His name was Peter. Peter was sentenced to die. Poor Peter. He was pretty hopeless. Sixteen guards guarding him. He's not going to get out of there. King Herod, meanwhile, was having a pretty grand time. But you know what? That night, the angel let Peter out. And a couple days later, Hezekiah was eaten by worms. You know, if God can look, could look at these situations and say, it's not poor Peter. It's poor Herod. This guy, he's in trouble. He has no idea how close his disaster is. It wasn't poor Hezekiah. It was poor Sennacherib. He has no idea how this tragedy is hanging over his head. 
And you know, when Satan comes against us, maybe he uses people, maybe he uses whatever he uses. But the enemy of God, when it comes to attack us and, 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 you know, we say we wring our hands, we worry, we say, God, this is out of your control. You can't do this. Look, this is the God who split the Red Sea. It's God's not worried. Now, he does want us to do something. He does want us to put this into practice. He wants us to don't worry, but pray and pray and pray and pray some more and pray, you know, minute by minute, all day long, maybe because the temptations to worry keep coming. And so you're just constantly crying out to God because this is just way more than I can possibly handle. But you're not worrying. You're praying and you're not praying just any prayer. You're praying with thanksgiving. Suddenly. The Red Sea that looks so so scary, it's parted and it becomes our friend. Because we walk through it and then the enemy comes behind it and it closes and the enemy's gone. And now we're much safer than we were without the Red Sea. Without the Red Sea there, the enemy could keep coming, but they couldn't because the Red Sea got them. The things that seem to be our enemies become our friends. When we pray and when we obey God. And, you know, whether it's the walls of Jericho, you know, those walls look pretty high and imposing. But God says, that's nothing. I, I can handle that. The Red Sea, no problem. I, I got that, too. I can handle that. Moses, stretch out your rod. Even when things you hope weren't so bad. Get worse. And I've felt that when things OK, maybe things are sort of getting better here. Drain this three and a half years. Maybe God's going to do little by little uh, a work and maybe things will turn out just kind of halfway good. What happens when they get worse? What happens when Moses comes out of the land of Midian and meets with Pharaoh and says, hey, uh, you know, I want you to let my people go. Wow, maybe there's hope here. And we put our hope in Moses. But it gets worse. Pharaoh says, I'm going to take away your straw. You have to make just as many bricks as before. You're going to get beaten if you don't do it. And the people says, Moses, you haven't helped the situation. It's worse than it's ever been. The darkest hour just before dawn. That was a pretty dark hour. Well, there was a savior coming. It was a bunch of frogs. And these frogs swarmed the land and the people's hopes raised. And Pharaoh said, OK, I'll let you go. And then the frogs left. And your last hope left with the frogs. Lord, we thought maybe the frogs would do it, but they didn't do it. Looks like we're all we can look back. We know what happened, but they couldn't. They thought it was the last hope. The frogs were supposed to save them and the frogs are now gone. Were they without hope? Was it really as dark as they thought it was? No, it wasn't. God had everything under control. He had eight or ten, eight or nine more plagues still coming. And finally, the biggest one, the, the Passover there where the firstborn was killed and then they got out and they thought, OK, thank you, Lord. Now we're finally safe. But then they got the problem of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind them. Well, they finally made it through that and then they got a problem with thirst. Well, thirst can kill us far more efficiently than Pharaoh could. So they complain about that. And then God brings water from the rock and then they get hungry and uh, and uh, manna from heaven falls. Well, then they get tired of manna. And then God tells Moses to do something pretty extraordinary. Go tell the people that I'm going to send them enough meat for a whole month. Well, that 
you know, Moses, he was already losing his credibility with the people because, hey, it seems like you brought us out here to die. We're tired. Why did you bring us out here? And now he's going to go make him a promise that he can't keep. This isn't, doesn't add up at all. I mean, do the math. How much meat would it take to feed 600,000 people for a whole month? Moses says, look, uh, God you know, pulls out his laptop and punches around and all the fish in the sea. OK, maybe. But still, I think that comes up to about a 15 days. I, I, I don't think this is going to work. But he does. He goes in front of the people and he tells them, you're going to get meat for a month. He put his reputation on the line. What did God do? He brought enough quail to feed them for a whole month. And, you know, these, these weren't righteous people that he was helping. These people were complainers. These were grumblers. These were... Um, so, these problems we face, and some of them are overwhelming. We are being... I'll just be honest. We're, we're being attacked as a family. The Hertzler family is under attack for the last little while here. Um, I don't say that to complain at all. You could probably all say the same thing about issues you're going through. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's spiritual issues. Maybe it's things with your, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating the fact We're we are under attack, but God is giving us these promises and I wouldn't want to be with, I wouldn't want to be back where I used to be in my prayer life. I wouldn't want to be, you know, back where I was in, in my view of myself. And I wouldn't want to be back where I used to have the freedom to worry. I don't have that freedom anymore. I'm going to be tempted. Oh, I'm going to be tempted tremendously. But I don't want to ever give myself the freedom again to worry. Instead, I want to obey the command. Don't worry. Pray with thanksgiving. And again, don't leave any one of these three out. Every time you pray, give thanks. Every time you're tempted to worry, pray. Every time you pray, give thanks. And keep going. And keep going. And make sure you meet the... Are, have you truly met the requirements of being a righteous man? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And, you know, again, I got a... Just last night, I was struggling again. And uh, I just got a text from somebody praying. Wow, that's... That, that was just at the right time. Again, God knows it. He knows when, you know, even though we resolve to do these things, how how uh, how hard it is. And uh, so God is, you know, we read these stories all through, you know, we read about the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. And wow, it looks pretty hopeless for them. But God, it wasn't hopeless for them. It was it was it was a problem for the guards that threw them in. What about Daniel in the lion's den? Wow, he's sentenced to, to, to die at the hands of the, at the mouths of these lions. And the people who tried to get him thrown to the lions, it looked like they had won. But you know, that night before, they were probably rejoicing. Yeah, Daniel's going to be thrown to the lions. They had no idea the danger they were in and the safety that Daniel had. He was a praying man. And I don't know if he I'm sure he was tempted to worry, but you see, temptation to worry is not bad as long as you don't give in to the temptation. Temptation to worry is a reminder to pray. So Daniel's OK, I'm going to pray. And he prayed. He kept on praying. Let temptation become a gift. Temptation. If God's going to allow the temptation, I think, you know, again, he's promised not to tempt us above that we are able. 
but he's going to make a way of escape. Well, I think this verse, Philippians 4, 6, is a way of escape. Don't worry. That's a command. Pray. That's a command. With thanksgiving. That's a command. Let's do that. Let's do it over and over again. Was David in danger as he stood before Goliath? No, Goliath was in danger. Was, uh, was Paul in danger when he was sentenced to die by beheading at the hand of Nero? No, Nero was in bad danger. Paul, he wasn't in all, you know, he, had, he believed in the resurrection. And, uh, you know, Moses and Pharaoh, Haman and Mordecai. Who was in danger there? I mean, Haman had this big gallows and he, things are looking up for Haman. He was in tremendous danger. Mordecai was perfectly safe. And uh, so down through history, you look and it's when we put into practice God's commands. Don't worry. Pray with thanks. That's when we can have peace. And as long as I practice that, God has given me peace. And I'm so thankful for that. I just wanted to share that with you. That's my testimony. And uh, I'm just going to sit down, open it up. Glenn, you can close. But just if anybody else has a testimony they want to share here in the last time that we have, I'm, we'll just open it up. Whether it's from Bible school, young people, something you want to share. Uh, whether it's something that happened here, maybe even here this morning, but you know, here uh, in your life here in Oregon. We'll just open it up. Let's pray before we do that. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we want to thank you for the peace that passes understanding. We want to thank you for the command, how to receive that peace. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to worry. Not, e not even are we not, don't have to worry. We don't, we're not allowed to worry as your children, but we are commanded to pray and pray and pray without ceasing. And so, Lord, we thank you even for the trials that you brought into our life. Thank you for my oldest daughter, Corey. Thank you, God, for what a gift she is to me. And what I have learned through her, even her wrong choices. But Lord, I also thank you that you love her. And thank you for what you will do in her in the future. Thank you, Lord, that there is no danger she's in right now that is too big for you. You're not worried about it, Lord. You have all power. And so I ask you, God, to come and work. Break the chains of sin. Give her the gift of the fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom. Bless her with that, Lord. Pour out your love upon her. Pour out your conviction of sin upon her. And all of us, Lord, we as a family, as I say, are under attack, but we are looking to you and, and you have been good in the past. You've been faithful. We've seen your hand work. There's things we're still waiting for you to do. But Lord, the work that you have done has truly been good. And so I, I just thank you, God, for every family that's here. Every person that's here, every individual that's here, whatever they're going through, I pray that we would learn to put these, this verse into practice. To not worry, but to pray and pray and pray some more and to give thanks, give thanks, give thanks some more. And to not quit until you call us home. We bless you, Lord. We give thanks right now for what you will do this morning what you will do today, what you will do this next week, what you will do the next year, Lord. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.